there is somebody in the world right now that needs what you have to give and they don't need you to be perfect at it. They don't need you the 10 years down the road. You, they need the now you. And if you wait and try to get it all perfect and right and say all the right things and word it all correctly. So it doesn't get misinterpreted or misrepresented or misunderstood. You're probably never going to put anything out. Welcome to the called forth podcast. This is the place where we help ambitious women of faith to activate and break through the belief structures holding them back. I'm your host, Dawn Town, author of the book, Hashtag More Than Done, speaker, wife, and mama four. I'm going to show you how to go from stuck to called forth while connecting to the full expression of who God has made you to be and make this season your season in your life and your business. I believe God has called you forth from the very beginning, and this is your season of awakening and activation. Hello and welcome to today's episode where we are going to be talking about what to do when you are afraid to produce your work because of a changing cultural tide or cancel culture. If this is something that you're currently facing or you know you're going to face it in the future, tune in. I've got some tips and advice on what you can do to work through this. I think for the last several years, this is something that so many people have faced, whether you are a writer, a speaker, a content creator, you're producing work for your company, marketing work, whatever. Uh, If you are putting something out in the world as work, art, there is this concern over the constant changing cultural tide. Are you going to say something that offends somebody? Are you going to get it wrong? Are you going to be insensitive? Like this is a constant concern of people who are producing work that goes out in the world. And because of the landscape of social media and the legacy media, we constantly see examples of people who are being vilified and crucified for saying something wrong or saying something they didn't realize even in the moment that it was wrong, or maybe it wasn't wrong at all, but because everything's constantly changing, something they said suddenly becomes wrong. They said it with the wrong wording. Or they used a word that has a changing terminology and definition. Literally, I think it was Amy Coney Barrett case. A word was said. And then before you knew it, like literally within 24 hours, dictionary.com had changed the definition of that word where this came about. But dictionary.com changed the definition of a term that she used. And so in seeing that happen to other people, it's a concern for you as you're trying to produce your work in the world that maybe you're going to get it wrong. So here are a few things that I feel like I have applied in my own life and I think would be of benefit for you to keep in perspective when you are producing the work that you're putting out in the world. Number one, with this concern, there's also the factor of knowing that over time you're going to grow and change and evolve. Meaning if you have a certain perspective on life in 10 years, you might have a completely different perspective or a more evolved or matured perspective. And we get concerned. I know I have gotten concerned over what if I put out an opinion or a thought or an idea that maybe in 10 years, I don't agree with anymore, or I have a different perspective on it because of life and experience. Will I then go back and be ashamed of what I put out 10 years prior? But I think the bigger regret would be not producing what I feel like is on my heart to produce or for you not producing the message that you have to give out to the world because you're concerned that your perspective and opinion and thoughts and ideas are going to change and evolve over time. 
there is somebody in the world right now that needs what you have to give and they don't need you to be perfect at it. They don't need you the 10 years down the road. You, they need the now you. And if you wait and try to get it all perfect and right and say all the right things and word it all correctly. So it doesn't get misinterpreted or misrepresented or misunderstood. You're probably never going to put anything out. And this first came to light for me a few years ago when I was in my very first life coaching season where I had hired a coach who was phenomenal. And I was really concerned because I knew I wanted to be a public speaker and I was worried, you know, what if I produce something and people take it wrong or they judge it out of context. And she's like, Don, you're like an apple tree. You're meant to produce. It's not your job to control what other people do with the fruit that you produce. It's just your job to produce. And I was so moved by that story. And it stuck with me ever since, because it really took the burden off my shoulders of trying to get it all right all the time and control something that ultimately is out of my control. She even went further in the example of saying, you know, somebody takes an apple off of your apple tree and they go and make applesauce with it. Maybe another person takes an apple and they go make an apple pie, or they take another apple. Somebody else takes another apple and they go do something else with it. You can't control what other people do with the fruit that you produce. You can only control the fact that you're producing it. So I say that to encourage you. If you are in this zone of being frustrated or stuck that you don't want to put anything out in the world, because what if you're going to get it wrong or you're going to have a different perspective 10 years down the road? Other people don't need the 10 years later version of you. They need the now version of you. Remember that when you start getting caught up in worry and anxiety and concern over, am I going to get canceled for saying this? Because if ultimately you are producing the work that's on your heart to produce, I believe there's going to be grace in that for one of two things, either grace for the people that are meant to receive it or grace for you to grow from the act of even sharing it. Just even in me sitting here with this podcast, I know that it's going to help other people who listen to this podcast But I also know that it's helping me. It's helping me to learn to get out my message and articulate faster and better and smoother. It's helping me to be able to formulate ideas and get all of this information that's in my head out of my mouth and out into the world in in an ever evolving and growing and better way. So the work that you produce, yes, is for other people, but an ancillary product or a side benefit of that is that it helps you as well. And so that's the thing with cancel culture and vilifying people. And I know I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir for the people that are listening to this podcast, but the danger of cancel culture is the fact that if you don't allow people to share what's on their heart and the perspective that they have in the moment, they're not going to learn to grow and change and evolve over time because they're just so concerned with keeping it contained and being careful about being perfect and getting it all right, that they're not going to put out in the world conversation pieces where maybe more conversation needs to be had around a particular topic. So when you limit conversation and you have this mentality of canceling people because they said it wrong or did it wrong, you really are obstructing the culture from growing and developing. People shouldn't feel shamed for sharing an idea, sharing a concept, they should be invited into conversation. So either they can learn to grow and develop through it, or they can be even more confirmed because the act of getting it out in the world confirms in them 
that they're saying the right thing and what they're saying is needed. And other people then realize they're not alone in their thoughts. They're not isolated in what they're thinking. The second thing that there has to be when you are concerned about the changing cultural tides of cancel culture and producing your work is that there has to be an element of not caring what other people think. And that is really hard if you are somebody who is a perfectionist or you're a type A personality or you're a people pleaser, which I think some to some degree I can be like that myself. Um, there has to be an element of, of letting go and releasing something you can't control other people's perceptions. There's has to be this element of not caring. Like, I don't care. I'm going to put out the work I feel in my heart to produce. I feel maybe you feel like God has put this on your heart to produce. Maybe you're thinking of being a speaker, an author, a podcaster, a YouTuber, a content creator. Maybe you have art to put out in the world. Maybe you want to start a dance studio. Maybe you want to go out and you want to pair your love of cooking or some kind of production of your talents and abilities paired with personal development or paired with emphasis or highlight of a certain problem or concern that you have in the world that you want to bring light to, to help find an answer for. You have to let go of being judged. And that is so hard. I am in no way saying that is easy. It's actually probably one of the hardest things to do is just releasing that and letting it go and deciding it's okay that I'm going to be misunderstood. It's okay that I'm going to repel people as somebody who likes to get along with everybody and likes to be on good terms with everybody and, and thought of in a nice way. Uh, my natural inclination is I hate the idea of other people not liking me or misunderstanding or just judging me unfairly or out of context. But if I want to produce anything in the world of value, I'm going to have to let that go. And I'm going to say the same thing for you too. If you want to produce anything of value in the world, friend, you have to let that go, that fear of judgment and being misunderstood. And you have to move through that fear in spite of the fact that you will be judged and misunderstood and not everybody will get you because everybody is looking at the lens, looking through their own lens at your life from the filter that their experience has led them to their opinions, their thoughts, their belief. And that's just something that you can't control. You could literally say everything right. And people would still find a way to judge you. Another amazing quote from my friend, Marie Cochran of shut the fear up, who was my very first life coach. In this battle internally that I was facing of wanting to start speaking publicly and showing up online to build my online platforms, this is something she said to me. So rather than spend all of this time trying to curate and craft this message that will never be mis that could never be misunderstood or never taken the wrong way, you would be best spent putting your energy into actually producing the work. And then fine tuning it as you go, growing as you go, getting better as you go, maturing as you go. And this leads me to my next point. You have to make the dream for your life bigger than your fear. I know when you're first starting to think of what it is you want to do with your life and do in the world and the goals you want to set, fear is huge. It comes and pummels you. It is in your face. It's like a neon sign, like blinking, blinking in your face loud and proud. And it's like, all you can see, you can't see past the neon lights because it's like blinding you. Practically fear is blinding you and paralyzing you, but there is a powerful way to take apart fear. And I talk about it in my book, hashtag more than done. And that is about deconstructing fear to pull from Marie. Again, she uses this analogy 
where she talks about how when you take apart the pieces of a gun, it's no longer powerful. When it's all together, yeah, it's a powerful weapon and it can do a lot. But when you completely deconstruct it and take apart the pieces and lay them out on the table, it's no longer powerful. So I want to encourage you, whatever your fear is, I want you to start to deconstruct it and really get back to the root of where is this fear coming from? Is this fear because you ultimately are dealing with some insecurity? Is this fear from the fact that you want to be liked and not misunderstood because maybe as a kid, you struggled to make friends and now you finally have friendships and you have relationships and you're worried if I put this out there, I'm going to lose the relationships I had. I want you to, whatever it would be for you, I want you to deconstruct that fear and peel back the layers and lay them out piece by piece and judge them and evaluate them. Because when you do that, it's almost like you take the fear out of the darkness and you expose it to the light and you can see it for what it really is. And just like the visual of the boogeyman who seems really big and bad in the dark, and then you really put the light on it. And it's really just this shadow or this stuffed animal that's sitting on a shelf in just the right way. And it, when morning came, you realized, oh, that was just this p- toy in my room that was positioned in the right way to create this really scary look. I want you to think about fear the same way. You're going to take it apart piece by piece. You're going to lay it on the table. You're going to take it out of the darkness and you're going to expose it to the light. What are you really dealing with here? You don't know until you take it out in the light and you expose it. And here's my last tip. And it's more of an application tip. How can you applicably walk this out? You can do this through testing the waters in a safe place. And I'll give an example of how I did this. So a friend of mine and I created a conference called the Live Your Purpose Conference, where we invited, it ended up being 175 women at the very first conference. And it was about helping women to find and live out their purpose. And after the event was over, there was a Facebook group that we had started. And I, at that point, I had gotten my book written and I was really nervous to really start talking about it in public. So I would go on these lives in this Live Your Purpose Facebook group And I would just talk out the chapters in this book. And there was like probably less than 10 people that watched, but doing it in that safe, small space helped me to get more courage and more comfortable with putting my message out there in the world. And I ended up uh, having out of that small group that watched the few lives, I think I did like two or three of the lives. And then I invited them into a private group because I was going to talk to them more deeply about the book. And I was going to try to launch a coaching program out of that. I didn't, I ended up having like maybe two or three people go into the private group and nobody signed up for the group coaching. But what I learned from that experience was that I can take failure. I can come back from something that didn't work out the way that I wanted it to, or the way that I hoped that it would, I can take failure. And just to go back even to that first conference, you know, I share the experience that at this conference, I visualized going out on that stage and killing it in front of everybody, like walking across the stage, owning it, like laying down nugget after nugget of like wisdom and the the great things I felt like God had showed me and helped me to work through in my life. Like I envisioned myself as my life coach, Marie Cochran. She wasn't my coach at the time, but she came and she spoke at this event. She was an international speaker. She'd been doing it five years. She was incredible. And I visualized leading up to that event, 
I practiced, I did breathing techniques to calm myself down before I went on stage. I did all of the things that you read to do before you do public speaking. And you know what happened on stage in front of 175 women in my hometown who I knew I was going to see at Hy-Vee, our grocery store the next day. I was so nervous. My tongue felt like it wouldn't work. I stumbled over my words. I even apologized and said, I'm sorry. And the mic, because like, I, I couldn't formulate words. I finally got it together. Um, I was skipping over things. And when I got to the part where I was like sharing more of the story of my life, that obviously I knew second nature, it got smoother from there, but it was a really painful to get there. And you know how sometimes when you see somebody speaking and they're really struggling, you feel bad for that person. I think my kids call it like secondhand shame or something like that, or secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. I think the audience totally had secondhand embarrassment watching me try to fumble my way through. It was awful. And I got off that stage and I was in shock because I'm like, oh my gosh, I did everything I was taught to do to nail it. And I didn't nail it. It it was really not, I mean, other people probably would tell you it wasn't as bad as I'm describing it now, but that's how it felt for me. And it was painful. I, I don't think there's any getting around the fact that I stumbled. But what I learned from that experience is I can't compare my day one to Marie's year five. I can't compare my beginnings to somebody else's mid season or end of season. And don't we so easily do this. We look at other people when we're trying to get started in something and we see how smooth they are and how articulate they are. And they're putting things out and everything looks so polished. And maybe they have a whole team around them that's helping them to execute. And maybe they don't, maybe they just have five years of experience doing it on their own. So they can produce a whole lot more than we can. But you cannot compare your even end of year one to somebody's end of year five or six or two or three. You have to give yourself grace and know that you can't, as much as you might want to, bypass that painful process of development. I know, I wish we could. I so wish we could be like, okay, I have this idea and I'm going to execute it and it's going to be great. And I'm going to be the one in a million, the one that goes viral, the one that makes $300,000 in three months from my launch. Like I want that to be me. Of course, don't we all, but chances are the numbers are not on our side to do that, but it doesn't mean that the numbers are not on your side as you consistently and daily work towards your goals to get to that place where you are making over a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever it is your, your goal is. Maybe it's 50,000. Maybe you just want to produce something and allow it to be extra income for your family. So you can go on vacation every year. But the main point is you have to remember that you can face failure and you can rise up above it. You can get up and dust yourself off and you can move on and you can keep growing and getting better and you can handle it. And that's what you have to remember when you are walking through this process of walking things out, knowing you might be misunderstood, knowing that there could be cancel culture coming your way, knowing that there's changing cultural tides, you've got this and you can do this. So I want to recap what we've discussed today. Number one, you are going to evolve and grow over time. Your opinions are going to mature and change. Don't wait for that to happen. Start now. The people that you're meant to serve need need the now you, not the 10 years down the road you. The people that are meant to glean from you and you're meant to serve 10 years down the road, those people are meant for the 10 year later version of you. But who you're meant to serve now needs who you are in this moment. Number two, there has to be an element of letting go and not caring. There has to be an element of not caring what people think you're going to go for it. Number three, you have to make your dream bigger than your fear. 
Number four, do things in small, actionable ways. Do them in a safe space. Start to walk out the dreams and goals that you have for your life on the small scale. Because as you do that, you're going to grow. You're going to work out the kinks. You're going to work out the beginner mistakes. And don't bemoan a small beginning. Oftentimes we want this huge audience in the beginning for our work. And that's natural to want that. And if that happens, that's great. But be thankful for the small audience because you can work out a lot of the mistakes in front of that small audience. And when you do get in front of the bigger ones, you're a lot smoother. You've got it down. You're more polished. You've worked through those things that are just a part of beginning. So I hope this episode helped you and encouraged you that if you are facing a season in your life where you know you're meant to produce work in this uh, changing cultural tide of where we're at in the world right now, I hope you found encouragement, inspiration to go for it because your work is needed. What is on your heart to produce is needed. Remember that when fear starts coming at you, because it will, it will come at you, but you are strong enough to face it. You are strong enough to fail and get up and move on. You're strong enough to make it happen. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't have something deeper inside you to pour out. So keep going, friend. I'm here cheering you on and encouraging you. Let me know how this episode served you and your greatest takeaways. Until next time. That's all we've got for this episode of the Called Forth podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also make sure to link up with us at www.dontown.com. That's D-A-W-N-T-O-W-N-E.com. And on social media. And please just share. Share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember... You have been called forth.